I hope you've been enjoying the Physiology Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Cooper, one of the co-hosts of the podcast, as well as the author of Ephesiology, the study of the Ephesian movement. As no doubt you're aware, recent events in our country and around the world have raised the question of proper Christian engagement of our culture. This is one of the reasons why we designed the Ephesiology Masterclasses. And I hope that you'll consider those as a tool to help equip you to effectively engage in God's mission, whether it's here in the United States or abroad. You can learn more at ephesiology.com slash master classes. And now, hope that you will enjoy this next episode of the Ephesiology Podcast. All right, gentlemen, here we go. In three, two. Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Well, we've got a special edition of the podcast available for us. First of all, we are with Michael, our resident Ephesiologist. He is joining us from a remote location, undisclosed currently, <laughs> on his cell phone. Glad to join you. are with us, Michael. Michael, you there? Yeah. Can, are you coming I'm in? Here. I'm coming in. He's coming in. All right. We're also with Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas. And I'm Matt Till, lead pastor of Restoration Church in the suburban sprawl of Chicago, Illinois. And we got a special guest today with us, uh, Mike Shero. Uh, Mike has previously been an executive pastor at a large church and the owner of a healthcare consulting group. And now he's uh, known as the president and CEO of the C12 group. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Welcome. Pleasure to be with you guys. Uh, Mike, tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe about your family. Sure. So I'm uh, so I'm in, I'm joining you guys from Texas, but I'm a transplant here. Um, ironically, I grew up in Alaska, which makes me more like a Russian Canadian. Like when I moved here, <laughs> my first day in Texas, they went, "Are you a Yankee?" And I went, "I, I don't know." Yeah, <laughs> I am so far north of all Yankees that I don't even know how to process this. We didn't have land where I don't know what I am. Uh, <laughs> But a uh, funny thing is I grew up saying the two things I wanted to never, ever do was live in Texas and never work for a church. And so check, check. Yeah. Both those things. And now my wife and I say, I never want to live in Costa Rica. We never want to win the lottery. So we just kind of changed. our. Yeah, that's good. Smart. Yeah, that's good. I'm going to try that myself someday. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I grew up a little Northwest of Dallas, as they say down here, and then uh, had a privilege of going to school in Chicago and, uh, meeting an awesome Iowa farmer's daughter, Jackie, and either I'm a great salesman or Jesus loves me, but I got her to marry me in college before she had a chance to explore any other options. <laughs> so we were one of those weird married couples who got married at the end of our sophomore year of college and then did the whole full-time school, full-time work, married life deal in a ghetto apartment in Waukegan, Illinois. Um, Waukegan, yeah. Yeah, hey, let place. me let me at least stop your story here just to say I saw that Mike and Jackie and you guys were not crazy. You were wonderful. And uh, every time that I got to see you guys on campus, it was like, yeah, these people aren't crazy. They're the ones who kind of figured some things out and uh, we all need to act like them. So I don't know. Don't sell yourself short. But can we at least agree super nerdy at that point? Well, I, you know what, that sounds like a pot calling the kettle black. So I don't okay. know if I should, I don't know if I should say that. So the funny thing was I went to, I went to Chicago to do a pastoral studies major, uh, had gotten licensed. That was your first mistake, but yeah, go on. Yeah. First yeah. of all, I have many, many mistakes. In my life. Um, 
I'd gotten radically saved as a youth and was like a Doogie Hauser church guy. So I actually got licensed as a Southern Baptist pastor when I was 17 and was doing all kinds of ministry stuff. Um, and so I went to school in Chicago, started as Christian men major. And first, end of, end of my first semester, I met with the department chair, Jim Moeller, who you guys, a lot of you guys know. Um, and I was like, hey, I love you, love the program, but I've actually read most of these books and I've done most of this stuff because I, I had this really cool mentoring experience in high school. And he said, yeah, I think you should drop the major. And I think you should get like a business degree or an education degree, minor in ministry, and then go to seminary later. I think it'd be really good for you. And so I felt like I was, you know, selling my soul and became a business major and went to work for a big company that hired me because I was a Christian because uh, they actually wanted to benchmark me against non-Christians. So this giant publicly traded company in Chicago said, hey, we want to hire you because we're going to measure you and purposely put you up against non-Christians. And we want you to go hire five of your friends. We're just going to do an experiment around Christians versus non-Christians in the workplace. And so hmm. um, that's incredible. So that kind of that sounds like a podcast who won? Who won? itself. Well, so no offense to Trinity here. So I got to go hire the other cohorts in the guinea pig group. And so I hired four college students and one TED student. And uh, once we fired the TED student, we were doing great. Our apologies, our apologies to Trinity International. Yes. But yeah, I'm uh, proud, proud alumni, proud alumni. So that's wonderful. Yeah. Same. So we uh, went on, did business stuff. And that's honestly where I began to wrestle with um, a sacred secular divide. And so that threw me down a, a loop of cor- eight years in corporate America, then joining a church staff for four years and then launching a company and then getting involved and then running a local coaching business and then into this a few years ago. So I've been kind of on a journey of what I'd say kind of integrating missiology in my life and figuring out how to, how to, how, do, how does who I am come to wherever I am versus letting where I am determine who I am. And so I found myself so today as with we, a dad as, and a husband and that. Oh my gosh. And you, how many, how many kiddos do you have? I got two awesome girls. So I'm a minority in a sorority. Man, to be a thorn, right? <laughs> to be a thorn among roses. It's mm-hmm. a joy. Uh, my question for you, Mike, as uh, people may be listening in, they're just now being introduced to the C12 group and uh, running down your bio. Now they're getting to Mike is the president and CEO of the C12 group. And that's a big question mark. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't know who or what is the C12 group. So can you enlighten us? Yeah. C12 is a, um, an international program helping Christian CEOs and business owners, uh, what we say, build great businesses for a greater purpose. But really what that means is we run peer advisory groups. We get groups of business owners and CEOs that are Christians um, in cities all around the U.S., South America, and Asia uh, to meet up once a month in a for-profit model to work on how, to, how do you build your business, grow your business, but really how do you be a disciple of Jesus and how do you live out the Great Commission through your business, what we call business as a ministry and so we do that for a couple thousand companies. And um, so our model, I run essentially a leadership development company of like 18 employees that help run and support this network of 110 full-time field leaders who go out and uh, coach these 2,500 marketplace leaders who then employ like 650,000 people in their businesses. And we're trying to see businesses um, be flourishing, great examples of business, but incredibly impactful platforms for eternal impact directly. So that's my day job. It's a cool, really, really cool 
perch. I feel like I got front row seats in a stadium of God doing crazy stuff all the time. That sounds what exciting. Are, yeah. What are some of those crazy things that you see God doing? So, so like up in the New England area, you got a CEO running up. I'll keep it anonymous, but running a big packaging company. And he found out that he was being having his, having his intellectual property stolen by a large customer that's a multi-billion dollar Asian company and sold to a competitor as part of a total scheme to mm. destroy his business. And he found all the evidence towards a smoking gun. And when you get records of being stolen from by a multi-billion dollar company, that's just like a litigator's dream. But he really doesn't delight in destruction. It feels like court processes are generally about destruction, winning and losing. And so I actually wrote the chairman of the board of that multi-billion dollar company and said, hey, here's the evidence I got. Attorney's ready to go, but I'm a follower of Jesus and I don't want to see destruction to your company, my company, your people, my people, but there's been injustice here. And I'd really love for us to figure out what restoration looks like that doesn't result in death and harm to mm. innocent people on your side or death of this relationship. And so it would um, it would honor me and my faith if we'd have a chance to explore an alternative way of resolving this. Wow. Well, they flew him on a jet to their headquarters, called a board meeting and said, we've met a lot of crazy religious people. We've never met someone whose faith was the reason they didn't sue us and gave us a chance to actually work things out. Wow. And we're talking like tens of millions of dollars could have been gained here. Wow. And they asked him to explain his faith that would lead him to such a decision. And he spent the next 90 minutes telling the gospel to a boardroom of total non-believers from mostly around Japan. Come on now. And wow. at the end of it, the general council member came up to him crying and said, you're the first Christian I think we've ever believed. So hmm. I think when hmm. oh my gosh. you get to use the gospel to not only like effectively do in your relationships, your business, but to see how changing the way you deal with adversity actually opens up the door to then, you know, kind of be Paul before Agrippa or Paul before, you know, different um, Roman authorities testifying to the gospel. You see um, he got to go where no missionary, no pastor could have gone that day. And the gospel is authentic because he was actually operating under it, not just selling it. Right. It was mm -hmm. like, he was proving that this is the kingdom he operates out of. That is wow. insane. Wow. Or, we got a single company in America that's a meatpacking company that has uh, chaplains at every location, Bible, workplace Bible studies, care programs. They started this process about 25 years ago. And last year we gave them an award in their business. And this is not like hands raised in like a youth evangelism rally thing. Uh, they've had 10,000 employees make first time decisions to follow Jesus and 15,000 recommit their lives to Christ and get plugged into local churches after being. Um, kind of wayward mm. for a for a period of time, all in workplace where they've got like, this is Jimmy's name. He's now connected back to this church and he's being cared for this way. 10,000 workplace salvations in the last 25 wow. years. That's that incredible. is uh, embarrassing <laughs> for a few churches um, that might have to look at those numbers of that business and say, we haven't seen numbers like that in ever. So our app, so you guys are missiologists and love this kind of stuff. So you look at like average churches in America, church plants by size, by model, by denomination, all that kind of stuff's fun. They average small, medium business because we get, we serve businesses from a million dollars to our largest is like seven or $8 billion. But most are going to be in the 10 to $150 million range. 
in predominantly privately businesses. We do a publicly traded and the full game, but most are going to be privately held construction companies, healthcare companies, whatever. The average one sees four and a half to six salvations every year per company. Um, in Southeast Florida, it's actually like 9.7. It sees 30 people discipled and does about $200,000 worth of missions work separate from the owners like tithing and personal giving and philanthropy. But so if you think about it, the average small business we're working with is seeing about three times the rate of evangelism per capita that the overall average church in America would see. But it makes wow. a little sense because it's 70% full of unchurched people and you get 40, 50 hours a week, right? It's a totally different frontier program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, that is, that, I mean, that is amazing. And I was just going to ask like, all right, so what are the components that allow that to be? And you just mentioned a couple of them, like is you've got more contact with the individual mm -hmm. on a regular basis. You're actually having life to life relationship, living life. It's really, if you think about it, it's very acts based, you know, I mean, it, when we look at the early church, I mean, it seems like, you know, that movement launched. So it was so right because everybody's living amongst each other, working amongst each other. Uh, we don't have the suburban city, urban commute issues that we do today with a lot of our churches kind of battle almost um, here, a true community church. Um, and then, as you said, I mean, you're just interacting with people. I mean, whether they're believers or non-believers. And so you just kind of naturally rubbing shoulders with them. Uh, yeah, compartmentalization wow, of life and community, I think, is actually really uh, handicapping the spiritual formation. And thus, I think it actually neuters a lot of um, evangelistic efforts. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then so you're able to actually equip and empower these. Are these like the owners? Are the managers? Are they mm -hmm. um, just employees who are just kind of designated individuals who are working to kind of make these discipleship um, relationships and build them? Or how does that typically work? So we, we have two programs. We specifically, our primary mission is to equip CEOs or business owners because uh, they have both, we believe, a, a unique responsibility and they have authority to drive a lot. So we would, um, I'm going to throw a little diagram up on the board here, uh, screen here. So we would, we would argue that if you're a CEO or business owner, so it's true of every believer, but we just, we hold them particularly accountable saying you're responsible, not just for your conduct. And we do a lot of work around how is the gospel shaping your life, your marriage, your fruits of the spirit, your decision-making, all this stuff, but you're also responsible for the, the kingdom you now have responsibility for. And so how is the gospel in you transforming the mission, vision, values, and culture that people experience working with you and for you? And how has that changed the way you buy, sell, litigate, compensate, um, make widgets, and what's happening there. So we, we focus on them because they have the, not only the power, we believe they have the accountability to do that. And then we work with their direct reports. So we have a program for management teams that actually don't have to be Christians. We actually work with Buddhists and Jews and atheists and Sikhs and Hindus and go, hey, listen, Matt, like I get you don't believe in Jesus. That's fine. That's not part of what, but the owner of the company does and he wants the business operated this way. And so we're going to help train you how to lead the business consistent with the principles and values that the owner does care about. You don't have to adopt them personally, but you are responsible for making sure that's the brand of this company. So, but we just work with owners and their executive teams. Okay. So then the question I have, it seems that you guys are a discipleship organization that operates in business. Um, how, huh, how do you really, encourage people in the business world 
to take after these things, to adopt these values and to pursue these things in the workplaces without sounding like, uh, I want to say this derogatorily because this is kind of my position, like a discipleship pastor, like a guy who's mm-hmm. saying like, okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Like, how do you go about that? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to leave the question there because I'm only going to make it complicated the longer I go. So there, there's the question. So we're a for-profit business serving for-profit businesses predominantly. Uh, we approach them with the proposition that uh, we don't we don't raise funds like it's a dues-paying deal. So members pay to be part of this. They have a money-back guarantee that if we don't actually deliver enough business value to them through this, they get their money back. We address this tension. So the way I, I became a customer, so my journey to this, I get I didn't invent this stuff. I'm not that smart. I'm I'm a I drink the Kool-Aid of it. I got invited to become a customer of it 10 years ago and it's by a guy drawing these circles on a napkin for me who was a member. He ran a construction company and he said, Mike, if you're a Christian running business and if you love Jesus and you love business, then you've got to feel this tension. And that is like, how do you know you're actually honoring God in business? Like, what does it actually mean to do all things under Christ and do work as worship is a classic term in this space. Like, what the heck does that mean? Does that just mean not doing bad. Like when I moved to Texas, I'd ask people like, what does it mean to be a Christian? They say, well, I don't lie, steal, cheat. I pay my people on time. I say, God bless you and Merry Christmas. And like, congratulations. Like, that's so wild. But what does work as worship mean? Um, how do you know, like, what does God expect of us? Because what, the sacred secular divide, the, the clergy laity divide, like that did not get solved by Protestant Reformation. It's perpetuated in Protestant churches as much as Catholic churches, just with different nomenclature. Preach. And I, I think it starts all the way down in youth ministry. Like how many times at a church senior banquet do you celebrate the Jimmy? How many kids feel called to full-time ministry? Congratulations. Jimmy's going to go to missions. The rest of y'all are just going to go do jobs and make money to support Jimmy and try not to screw your life up. Like it, we, we create a cast expectation. Oh, <laughs> like my job is to not screw things up and hopefully make enough money and volunteer enough in the margins of my life to, you know, hopefully be a good Christian. And do some mission trips, do a week or two of being a disciple, and then maybe I'll make enough money to retire early and I can really make up for it in the backside of my life. But there's a, there is a chronic dissatisfaction, discontentment, and question mark of then what's enough? How much money is enough? How much service is enough? And so when we go, what if everybody is called to be a full-time disciple, regardless of what you get paid for doing? And what if you are accountable for your eternal impact and fruitfulness, whether or not you're working for a church, a school, a orphanage, or a bank? And, and then in all that, how do you have a life in order? And how do you help them realize like, the fact that you give a million dollars a year away does not excuse the fact that you have no intimate relationship with Jesus, you're neglecting your wife, you're not uh, discipling and parenting your kids, and you're a Christian jerk. So how's the fruit of like, so we go, these are the three tensions that most Christians in business feel like I get to choose one of these to win in one to be okay. And one, I just, let's not talk about. And we go, what if you were trying to do all three? Well, and now a, for, yes. for people who are listening and they can't see your three circles that we have here talking about this tension that he's talking about saying, you got to pick one of the three. Mm-hmm. It is work as worship. Mm-hmm. It is business, business as ministry mm-hmm. and it is a life in order. And yeah. so if you pick one, then you're sacrificing the other two, or that's the, that's the, what people feel. Yep. And they kind of almost even just for like, well, Hey, I, I business isn't great, but I'm a good dad or Hey, um, 
yeah, I'm not, I'm not involved in a lot of that discipleship ministry stuff, but I mean, I, I would give generously. And so we're each kind of like making up for it. Go, yeah, I don't think you get to choose which part you're faithful in. So let's pull those three together. And so in that is power. And there's like, it's a felt pain. And when you get it, begin to bring those three together, um, it unleashes flourishing, frankly, in all three. And so what makes it easy to make this not feel like a discipleship pastor relationship is a, I'm coming to them with a business proposition. I'm going to help them deal with raising money, dealing with balance sheet issues, hiring, firing people. We're going to learn like straight up it's MBA credit. They get nine graduate credits for being in the program towards a doctorate in business that they want. Like this is, we're serious. We think God is not honored by a poorly run company. So we're going to get really serious about the craft of running a business, but we're going to ask the question, how does the gospel change the way we do it? Man, this is this is phenomenal stuff. You know, I, wow. just looking looking at this, um, uh, your attention circles here. I think is you know you just mentioned how the typical business person kind of operates. Usually, they're going to try to win or succeed in two two out of the three. What I find also a bit uh, where the you know we talk about a lot of times this clergy laity divide mm-hmm. the difference between the professional and the one who's just you know sitting in the pew every week. Actually, I'm looking at this, and I think one of the one of the more difficult aspects of pastoral ministry then is that pastors are expected to win a hundred percent at all three of these things, as if they're all weighted the exact same. And I feel like that they kind of live in this tension, but actually at a much more elevated scale. That's almost unfair and unjust to them. Mm-hmm. And and yet we have we expect our our lady to kind of operate in you know less than that potentially. And I think what you're talking about here is, and this is what we talk about a lot, is we talk about like uh, flattening um, the, um, you know, the hierarchy and the leadership levels of the church. And in missiology, we find that, man, that the less hierarchy we have and the more people are equipped and empowered to do the work of the ministry, the, the more this movement thrives. And uh, what you're saying is coming at it from this another direction is saying like, listen, we see the benefit of this same idea, the same concept as those who are maybe kind of not winning in some of the areas, let's bring them up a little bit. And I'm saying from the other side, you know, from let's bring that part down and let's like level the playing field so that everybody's winning and everybody's working at the same, uh, at the same level. Uh, would you say that you see that uh, play out too? I would. Maybe here's a fun way to think about bridging those two paradigm questions is uh, uh, a friend of mine out in Oregon, Lonnie Geiger makes a statement. What would change about the way as a pastor you viewed uh, a congregation member who ran a business, if rather than viewing them as a high net worth volunteer, if you viewed that person as a, um, a mission campus pastor who happens to be running a campus that's got 130 electricians, the local, if that was a campus pastor and your question was, how am I equipping, supporting, and how am I even calling up to like evaluating effectiveness of Mike's electrical company? That'd be a very different conversation than me going, that's great, you got that job out there, what have you done? on this campus today and it'd be actually like we're now partners in a mission project you've got an outpost of serving people who don't come to our sunday morning service perhaps how are you serving them discipling them what's the needs there how to, like how are we co-laboring together well now we're mission partners with different discipleship zones and different community pockets and we're you're treating them, you're expecting them to be a pastor you're expecting them to be a disciple making disciple and the the whole relationship has changed. So first of all, props to uh, my friend and boss, friend of the pod, Russell Cravens. That is actually what we call our members at our church, as we call them mission partners, because we want everybody to be 
this is this is an arm in arm thing that God mm-hmm. has called us to. It is not my thing and everybody else is a part of it. But two, I think this is something that I one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is to essentially ask you right now. You just said that in the previous paradigm, a church and pastors or leaders at a church are most concerned about their local outpost and they devalue where their mission partners are, where God has placed them to do ministry in business as um, electricians, as uh, CEOs of any type. Um, Insert business category here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. School teacher, whatever. But God's taken away the local outpost temporarily of, of where people are meeting so my question for you is how has how have you seen in the in the few weeks that we have been down this road now it's almost what two months now um, how have you seen the impact of COVID be a mission positive both in churches that you're interfacing with and businesses that you are interfacing with? Yeah, we just we just did a COVID impact survey of 586 CEOs. I just got the data in three days ago, so the timing of this is great. So. Um, so, so God he, knows what he's doing. Cool. Good. Yeah, he's, he's still sovereign. So 55% of our CEOs said that the last six weeks has created a dramatic and profound increase in their opportunity to minister to employees. In fact, it set a record for the number of cases of um, them saying this gave them an opportunity to uh, both. So from a, you know, there's obviously sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, demonstrating and proclaiming and all the full spectrum. And we, we actually measure those things in our businesses. We measure gospel proclamation, gospel demonstration, discipleship, sanctification, and then who, how you show the love of Jesus to those hurting. So all those things get looked at. But the opportunity for testifying for the hope we have in this time has been off the charts. And so we've had more people coming to Christ, more people engaging in, in uh, at-work care programs. Because like you said, the, the local, the, the cathedrals have been shut down. The, the gathering places on Sundays have been shut down. But you're still coming to work. And even if you're not coming to work physically, if you, even if you're doing virtual work, you're still you're still uniting. And there's, again, this 40, 50 hours a week to live things out. And so you're not limited to small windows of intense exchanges. You get to pepper these things throughout it. We had a, a CEO in um, Raleigh who runs a manufacturing company making prison products. And uh, the week of Easter, a bunch of employees, they're doing shelter in place. They're sending people home. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And people say, hey, are you scared? What's going to happen in the family business? Are you afraid about getting the disease? And he literally shot a video from his desk to his, his company and said, hey, uh, I'd be um, misleading if I didn't explain why I'm not freaked out. Like, do we, could we lose the business? Yeah, I don't have no idea what the government's going to do with this. Could I get the virus? Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Um, so all those things are possible. I'm not, I'm not Pollyannish about those things, but he said, but that's not where my hope is found. And so he shared the gospel, had uh, three employees accept Christ that day, watching this video, 12 more come follow up. And they're getting to plug them into discipleship programs. They got marriage ministries at work. They've got uh, financial stewardship programs at work. I mean, they've got he's got a a business as ministry outpost that says we will serve you here. Those things don't stop. And so this has been a surge for that. Um, this has been a huge surge for it. Even for um, I was talking to a high tech company in Austin, Texas, where uh, head of sales, the guy who's by no means a follower of Jesus, was saying, "Man, I." I our whole company's been like, we'd kind of like to hear about the reason our boss has got different hope in this. And so the door, the door is open and it's, it's authentic there. 
And so the, the danger of this outpost mentality differences is when we allow a Christian to think ministry is Sunday and Monday through Friday is the billboard for Jesus to get them back to church where ministry happens, it, it does two really bad things. It actually disengages the idea that what I'm doing Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock is just as much about my discipleship and faithfulness of Jesus as what I'm doing Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Those get compartmentalized and I suddenly stop having a functional gospel. Um, and it somewhat makes the, the gospel unbelievable anyway. And so when people get confronted with, you know, it's easy to be a theologian on Sunday and be a Sunday school teacher. So 70% of our members are elders and deacons in their churches. And so you can be, um, I remember an engineer who was like, friends with R.C. Sproul and the guy could like run laps around most people doctrinally and theologically from an articulation perspective. But people who knew in business were like, dude, you may be a high sovereignty of God guy on Sundays, but you're like an Armenian, like anxiety stress freak during the week. And where's the trust in God and the way you lead your business now? And, and is the way you just did that deal is that, that doesn't seem like Sunday school, Bob and bringing those worlds together actually humbled and put him in a crucible of discipleship and wrestling with what does he actually believe. But then as people see that change, man, that, that hope is, is powerful and believable. So I was talking to a, a guy at a major U.S. airline who said with this COVID deal, he's like, I hope a bunch of church planters get out of seminary, can't plant their churches and have to come work for our company because our chapels at airports are flooded right now and subscription to workplace Bible studies is off the charts and people are looking for church they're looking for a journey with jesus in the context of the workplace and if we could, we need people meeting them here oh wow amen if you're listening you just hit that back button uh that, that 15 second back button you just tap that twice and you just replay that because that was just pure gold especially for those who are in the ministry or in seminary looking to um advance uh or kind of enter into ministry um this is the kind of stuff we're talking about and mike i just appreciate you so much just like affirming that in so many ways of just like, Hey, here's the, here's what we're hearing on the ground. Uh, one of the things that Michael and I hit, uh, worked on, we put, we put together a free ebook. Uh, it's available on physiology.com right now. Uh, we kind of looked at uh, COVID-19 and the church and just like the history of pandemics. And one of the things that when we looked back at the history and then kind of looking at evaluating the current state of the church, um, one of the things that we realized is that, you know, there's always been this hope of like, oh man, the pandemic's going to bring all these people to, to Jesus. So all these people are going to come in and flock to the churches and, you know, the movement of God is going to reignite again in the West and in America. And one of the things that we discovered and one of the conclusions we came to is um, that it, it seems like, yes, it can do that, but only if the church is positioned in such a way and the people are mobilized in such a way um, to which the movement and the dynamics of those movements are already like in place. And I think one of the things that we're seeing is that that's probably not the case in the church context. But Mike, what you're sharing on the ground is it seems like through your organization and through at least the companies and the organizations that you're working with, it seems like maybe there's some movement dynamics already kind of at play there. Some real organic systems and just a lot of authenticity and and just people really empowered and equipped, uh, ready to serve. Um, do you see that to be the case as well? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's a big question for what our church models are going to do post COVID. So I was talking to uh, buddy, Will Mancini in, um, we had Ed Stetzer come to our conference last year and did some talks around shifts of spirituality and where things are going on this. I think there's a, some big questions of um, if your church is about 
teaching and music can become a commodity. Like for a decade now, I can get teaching and music of my preference online any given point in time. And now we've just helped all Christians around the U.S. discover that for the last two months. Like, hey, if it's about an online experience, hmm, well, which teacher and which worship do I want to get? Who does that well? So if my church is about the commodities of a Sunday morning program, that's danger. <laughs> like you're, you better be really, you're really done. good then. It's over. Yeah. So you're going to have some giga churches, yep. uh, the mega church with fantastic programs and, and things for youth and addiction and marriage and the things that are powerful to have well done. But if you're not a, a discipleship community that is like, I can't not be connected because of how it's forming me and deploying me and equipping me to live out the mission of God, then I think you're, you're, you're kind of dead and don't know it yet. But if, and the challenge there is one of the most common things we find about the unintentional messaging when we have a um, bring them to the temple for the ministry to happen versus we're an equipping center, we're a training center, not a teaching center. We're training you to go out and do the works of ministry is a lot of our CEOs will come in saying my, my value is to be a billboard for my church and to be a funder of my church. And I remember in, we had a CEO who'd been elder of his church, great guy. And he had invited everybody who breathed to his church. We said, hey, I don't think the Great Commission is go there for and invite people to church. I think the Great Commission is go there for and make disciples. So how are you, how are you making disciples where you're at? And he's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. And so we, we did some equipping around some models and asked him to experiment. And over the next year, he called me the next week and said, I just accidentally led someone to Christ. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I was just trying to fumble my way through this new model. And, and by the end of the year, he had led about 18 employees of Christ who had then gone to lead about another 25 to Christ. And they got to relate 150 people meeting in Bible studies in any given week. They have a 24 seven operation, blue collar deal. And so they had different groups for different shifts. And he suddenly had, he suddenly had church starting there. Now the challenge was when he went back and celebrated with his church, the church he goes to is 45 minutes away from the business in the opposite direction where a lot of his employees live. Right. And uh, they're like, yeah, but none of those people have ended up here. So it seems like that's being a distraction for you doing stuff here. Uh. And he was like, well, if I'd led 30 people to Christ in Mexico, I'd be up on stage getting applauded for a short-term mission win. But like, these are like people in life here. And so, but he had to have a mentality shift of going, I'm not a billboard for my church. I'm an, I'm an agent of the church, right? I am the yes. church. And that then made him, start realizing, well, there's a liability because if you get up and start being an agent for the church or company, and then you're a jerk on Thursday. People are like, which is it? And that disciples him. So Absolutely. I do think there's a hunger right now. There's a church model question in crisis. Um, and I could, we could do a whole, whole thing on that. But I think there's a powerful way for churches to engage in this as a continuum of of again, how do I help you reach the outpost you're in during the week? And how do these things coalesce? And what are the, um, you know, we had a case in South Carolina where an employee got killed on his way to work, motorcycle got T-boned by a car. And a pastor from the local church came out and actually led a, a grief session at the work site and uh, over the next, and came back multiple times. By the end of the week, 21 people had accepted Christ this construction company in the process of dealing with the grief of what happened to their coworker. And then they're like, what do we do next? And so they're like, Hey, you know, it's a big leap to go from maybe they were Catholic or Episcopalian or not church or whatever. Maybe they got church issues, but they're like, okay, we're beginning this journey with Jesus. Do I have to now go to that brand church for the next step? And so the pastor actually came out, said booth, they baptized people in the backyard of this construction company. And just began launching out from there. And the 
the church kept calling the owner saying, Hey, how do we, what do you need to be equipped to take the next step of your people? And I think those types of relationships can be game changers in a, um, all disciples are disciple making disciples or they're not. So I believe a big believer in the Spurgeon quote, right? Every, every believer is either a missionary or an imposter, but I think we've actually encouraged makes some people to be imposters for a long time. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, how do you feel? One of the things that it, Michael talks about in the book of physiology and, and something that's been on our tongues the the phrase that he uses is that we are myopically theocentric that that as we go about day to day it's whatever you're plugging in be so myopically theocentric that it's not unclear what you are about about who got the glory mm-hmm. and um how do you see uh churches it, this is essentially kind of the same question as i was asking before that you already excellently answered, but how do you feel some businesses that you are interacting with are saying, I thought I was myopically theocentric. And now through this COVID season, I'm realizing I've got a whole bunch of things I can tweak with. Like, do you have any stories about people who are coming to grips with that sort of thing? Give me again, what's the definition of a dysfunctional myopic theocentricity? <laughs> break it break that down for me what would be a symptom of that breaking again if you are myopically theocentric mm-hmm. we've been razzing michael on this for a while by the way <laughs> he has so many good Wait, phrases I'm, i've been muted sitting here silently so so michael since we actually have the author how would you define the myopic or the myopically theocentric for right yeah, well Right, we talk about this as being missiologically theocentric as a passion for joining with God and uniting all things in Christ, as we learned in Ephesians one, and um, and that results in this this myopic uh, desire to do whatever we do to God's glory. How that dis- how that becomes dysfunctional, I think. Um, uh, is when we turn that back to ourselves, right? We become anthropocentric instead of theocentric. Mm-hmm. Uh, we look at things and, and we look at scripture and we're asking the question, well, what is in it for me rather than how is this signaling, uh, how we glorify God. And, and business certainly is a part of this. I, I mean, I'm just sitting here, uh, praising the Lord, Mike, for what you've been sharing. Uh, that for many years I've been saying that uh, the early church, and we don't talk about this very much, but the early church was built on the backs of business people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it would not have been the movement that it became had it not been for the fact that uh, business point. people were involved. And, uh, and we see this so clearly in First Timothy 3. You know, Paul says, these leaders of churches are to be managers of their household, that, that oikos, that socioeconomic, uh, religious, uh, um, uh, situation in the in the uh, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire at the time, but in the in the Greek uh, uh, worldview. And, uh, and those people were business people. They were leaders in those households uh, that 
cared for people spiritually. They cared for them economically. Uh, they cared for them socially. And it's wonderful to hear that, that what you're saying uh, as an example of what that looks like in the world today. Yeah, I don't. I, I think we don't um, connect the dots any longer between Ephesians five, you know, brutal marriage talk, and Ephesians six, armor of God passage. Like in between, there is quickly hit what this would then for therefore mean on how you employ and how you work. Yeah, and so whether sure. you work for boss you like and whether you employees and in Colossians, you know, the letter of Colossians is the same thing. There's a consistent theme that this is a a three sixty um, process, and I think the um, the challenge is one of the common, uh, I actually warned, I don't, this is not good marketing for C12 right now. Um, when someone joins C12, they usually think I'm a pretty decent Christian, a pretty decent church person. I'd like to be a little better and I'd like to run my business a little better and maybe have a little greater purpose. They don't really know what they don't know. And so when they get in, we begin to say, you know, how is the gospel affecting the way you do everything? And the gospel is not about maximizing your prosperity. Uh, we're not a, in terms of uh, not all these things make you healthier, wealthier, wiser, they just make you more fruitful. It tends to be that these things make for better businesses and better cultures and less turnover and all that kind of stuff. But there's things we would say Jesus would have you do, not because it makes you wealthier or easier, but because it brings him glory and it, it makes um, it makes it undeniably clear that there's a different kingdom you're operating out of for people. When we began to put that lens over every area of business stewardship and life, you suddenly start going, oh, oh, geez, I, I thought I was better than that. I'm not a, a phrase here was, I didn't realize what a bad Christian I was. I didn't even, I wasn't even looking at these things. Gosh, I, wow, I have been compartmentally judging myself against the bell curve of, well, I'm not Hitler and I'm doing okay things here and giving money. And so it brings in a lot of humility, which I think is a really healthy base for spiritual formation. And it brings a joy for seeing how God uses even, um, even brokenness. I mean, we've got businesses right now that are dying with COVID, totally shut down, wiped out, you know, restaurants, travel companies, tour companies, um, even special manufacturing companies that have just been literally destroyed. And yet, and what's cool there is while the, Business owner may have been saying, Jesus loves you and I'm a Christian, hashtag blessed. The employees were watching a guy, you know, with a seven-figure income with the perfect life going, sure, it's easy for you to say, but when you lose everything, when it's when it's evaporating, how you grieve, what you speak to, who you are in that, well, that that becomes undeniably powerful. That's that's John 9, once blind now see kind of like credible. And, and we have those as well. So we have a guy who in Tennessee just had to lay off 300 employees. And as he uh, both wept for his employees and wept, like his whole family wealth is gone. And, but him also going, ultimately, God is your provider. I was a conduit of that. Um, and him getting to process through it. Like he got more follow-up conversations and relationships with people believing him through that than when he was giving out of abundance. But we also have folks who thought they're, rock solid. And then when your, you know, your, your portfolio evaporates overnight, do you suddenly find yourself anxious and short tempered and hot and uh, mad at God? Like, I mean, crisis reveals yeah. what you're anchored in. What's the, uh, is that the, is it the Ravi quote that uh, when you're bumped, you find out what's inside essentially like what mm -hmm. spills out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this has been a lot of a se- season of bumping. Mm-hmm. Pressure reveals inner properties for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. And I think what I, Mike, I really, really appreciate about this conversation is how when we really look to scripture and understand that kingdom gospel is that we see that all things are coming together, being reconciled in Christ Jesus. Um, uh, with my church, we talk about restoration. We talk mm-hmm. about how Jesus intends to restore mm-hmm. and uh, his kingdom is meant for today and for eternity. And so you're demonstrating uh, tangibly how this looks uh, even uh, with without the secular sacred divide. It's really obliterating that and it's making everything sacred or um you know, actually everything is, is involved within that, within that kingdom gospel. And so I just so appreciate that and giving us just a real clear picture of that and how that gets played out. And that hopefully is inspiring to our audience and to Christian leaders, pastors, um, even just anyone who's, who's in the context of a church and says, man, what, where's my role? Where's my place? Uh, it doesn't have to be like pastor Andrew or pastor Matt or Michael writing books and things like that, but actually it's, it's right there. It's in the cubicle. It's in, it's in the, it's on the manufacturing line. No matter where you are, you have a role to play. Um, and that is, man, I just, that's a huge takeaway, I think, from this conversation. Well, I think that too, along with that, Matt, uh, a takeaway is that we need to wake up to the realization that there are people in our churches that are fully capable to do the ministry. Yes. And, and uh, we're not doing very well. And equipping them, and yep. actually, you know, we talk about um, the, some of the key aspects of multiplying a movement is leadership that empowers people to use their gifts, inspires them through hardship, and trusts them to uh, teach others to stay on the mission, and reminds them to preach the word uh, in season and out. And and that we're not seeing happen. Um, and so I think this is a great reminder for pastors to uh, not just look at these who are praying and pray and paying for you to do your ministry, but we need to look at business people as, as how Paul looked, um, you know, these were leaders in their communities. They had networks, they had influence. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then we need to come alongside of them and empower them. So Mike, I love what you guys are doing at C12 and, uh, and commend, your work to even our those who are in the business world listening to our podcast uh, check out what they're doing uh, and speaking of which michael thanks uh mike how do how does our audience connect with you or or find you in uh, c12 yeah you can go to c12group.com it's probably the simplest way to find where there's you know groups in your area people in your area um we got tons of free stuff we give away on there in terms of resources and i i just encourage you know, everyone listening if you're um, not in a church ministry spot, then our full belief is the conditions are perfect. You, you've you got nothing inhibiting your ability to be fully faithful to where you are. And so I found for my own myself, the question changed, the game changed when I stopped asking God, how do I get out of here and go to where I can be fruitful and start asking God, why do you have me here? How do I honor and bring glory here? Um, that opens up a whole different set of questions that God loves to meet us in. Mm-hmm. And then if you are running a vocational church or ministry, the question of how, how am I viewing the workplaces and contexts that people spend 88,000 hours of their life in? And, and how am I even thinking about, you know, whatever we teach in a class or in church, like how does that get lived out tomorrow? And so like, if it, if it can't be lived out Tuesday, is it real? And so just encouraging a, an uninterrupted continuity of, of a discipleship life is 
people are hungry for that and it unleashes ministry in ways you wouldn't imagine. Man, amen to that. Mike, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. And again, that's uh, Mark Shero, uh, Mike Shero, I'm sorry, uh, with C12 Group. And uh, we just want to invite you, our listeners, to be part of the growing Ephesiology global community. Uh, so whether you're an academic, a pastor, a church planter, a business leader, um, a, a mentor, a spirit-filled Christ follower with a desire for God's mission in the world, we, just, we have a seat at the table for you. Uh, three easy ways you can be a part of the Ephesiology community. One, subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Head over to Ephesiology.com and sign up for free exclusive content delivered from us right to your email. And of course, number three, join the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page by searching Ephesiology. So Mike, thanks so much for joining us. And for Michael, Andrew, and myself, uh, thanks for doing Theology and Community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast. 